Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. I'm your host, Laura Johnson, and today I'm lucky enough to have Neil Gunning as my wonderful co-host. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Jessica Morris. Okay, Jess, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? Well, thanks so much for having me today, Laura. Super excited to be chatting with you and Neil. My current role is the GM of People and Culture at Reckon. And for people that don't know who Reckon is, we're a tech company who make business tools for pretty much anybody these days. It's a pretty cool space to be in. My career started in a very typical, pretty boring, straightforward way. I went to uni, studied a business degree, majored in HR and business law. I never went into agency, unlike probably many others in the people world, because someone told me very early on that I would not be a good recruiter, so didn't go down that space. (laughs) But now I look at all areas from talent management, employee experience, well-being, and so much more, and I just love it. I do take on every opportunity that I could before I thought I was probably ready, and it's really been sink or swim way to my career. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting, and I love every moment of it so far. Love it. So we're going to go straight back to the academia. We're going to go back to academic way before we even jump into why someone had the goal to tell you that you wouldn't be a good recruiter. So tell me, business degree, what was it that took you into that in the first place that made you go down business degree route before we jump into why we moved from the people route? So business degree, why? Well, to be totally honest, why I went the business route, I really wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't get the marks to get in. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, this is a good stepping stone to get into being a lawyer but then when I was interning it really changed my love for the business degree so yeah it changed it quickly. I love that that's perseverance in a nutshell right there <laughs> amazing all right so what was it about law then let's before we jump into the career and so on what was it about law that enamored you and made you want to go down that route? I've always wanted to help people and mm. I probably didn't understand the business world that much when I was at school I just thought everyone was accountants or lawyers and all the typical degrees that you heard of. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, lawyer, yeah, you get to help people. That's a great job. But there's so many other opportunities to help people, which is amazing. I think it's such a good part about this world and the, the careers that we can go into today. Amazing. And the first role, so straight out of the gates of academia, the first role you moved into was? Uh, first role I worked at in relevance to my career was Groupon. Mm-hmm. So I interned there. I was on, a, I think, a one-month contract at the beginning and then it flourished into maybe 12 months. It went for yeah quite a long time and man, met so many amazing people there and I know that lots of them are like now founders of the iconic and yeah super careers they've gone into. So yeah it's a great place to start. And that was in the people world was it? That was uh, in the people operations and HR and so on and so forth. Oh yeah that was in the people world. That was yeah purely an admin at that time which is yeah great way to learn from the bottom up. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. So, right, let's jump into the, now you're going from academia, the theoretical, the academic, and you're moving into functionally applying. Tell me the about the learning journey. What was the, you know, when you're going from just learning things and you're having to then apply them, tell me what that was like. Yeah, I would say my advice to anyone is academia is very different to real world. And that's for very good reasons. When I was at uni, the academia was very, HR was very psychological based. Whilst today it's all about well-being, creating an amazing experience for people. 
So it's changed a lot. It's definitely everything I learned in uni, I would say, has been thrown out pretty much now. Um, but it's a great place to start and, yeah, get the fundamentals of it. So even when you're then building your knowledge and the fundamentals, I mean, you, you've gone from business with a keen interest in law and then you've moved from that. Into, and there might have been a few other steps in between, but your first role in the people world how do you start learning about the technicalities, the legislations, the, you know, what the business needs, how to, you know, how, where do you even start on that learning journey? Yeah, I think that learning journey comes back to being a really good people person. Mm-hmm. I think you should really get to know everyone in a company to succeed. Obviously, if you're in a really big corporate, that's hard to do. I've always been fortunate to sit at the 300 to 400 people business. So once you understand the people, you can understand where they want to take their product, where they want to take their culture, and then, yeah, make sure you you follow the policies and the laws around that, but having a good place to work is on top of that for me. Love it. Very cool. So that was an internship. It was a a shorter experience. Where did you move on to from there after that, again, in reference to the current career trajectory and and movement? From there, I worked at IGT, so I was there for maybe four or so years. Mm. Well, started. It still was in admin when I started. Mm. Then I moved up to a HRBP in those four years. And it was really exciting. So it was like the first time I had really touched recruitment. I was always so nervous to touch it after <laughs> people had said I would never be a good recruiter. So I was like, oh no. <laughs> so tell me. In fact, I realise I may have just breezed over the top of that. So. Did, were you told that before you ever moved into the people world at all? So this was before Groupon? Okay, we got yeah. to dig into that. Why <laughs> Why would someone have the gall to tell you that you weren't going to be a good recruiter? And who was it? Let's call them out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember who it was, but it was a recruiter. I don't know much. <laughs> I think that what they said to me is you'd never be a good recruiter because you're too honest. And then I was like, but isn't honesty important? So <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> They're like, it's more salesy and you're not a salesperson. Like, and I was like, oh, well, I think anyone could be good at anything. You've got to get the opportunity to do it. So, Wow, that's been- such a bad payment <laughs> of the industry. <laughs> I know. Luckily, we've all moved on from that now, thankfully. 100%. And I- 100%. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Okay, so look, we're not going to dwell on that too much then because <laughs> the fact that they thought you weren't going to be a good, a good recruiter is for reasons that you would want to have in your character set. So kudos to you. All right, so you moved into um, the, you know, a new role, IGT, you said? Yes. I'm really keen to understand the evolution in this role and the growth journey that you went on. And, you know, so you went in there more than an administration role when you were there for four years. I'm going to go ahead and just make the assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there was evolution, there was growth, whether it be horizontal or vertical. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that journey first, and then we can dig into where you derive some of the information and learnings from. So what did you start and how did that role evolve during your time there? Yeah, so I started, yeah, doing more the HR admin and learning mm-hmm. from a team. It was a global company, which was really cool. So we mm-hmm. had HRBPs locally as well as all across the world. So it was a really cool way to see how people did it across the globe. So it was my, probably my first experience to that. I didn't really love the 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m. <laughs> calls. But apart from that, it was really good. And the team that I had there, like I'm still really great friends with them because they were so supportive. They were the mentors without the mentor title and they mm-hmm. would give me every opportunity to develop and they never held me back. And it was like, you should try this, you should try that. It was never hierarchical or anything like that. And yeah, I love the team that I had there. And yeah, I'm sure they're still, still doing amazing today. <laughs> 
So mentor without the mentor title, like when you say that, what do you mean? Like, what is a mentor to you and how did what have they, the way in which you absorb from them and synthesize information from them change from a dedicated mentor role to, you know, these people that you learn from? How What was the difference between this? Yeah, I always like to group it as like your organic mentors and like your structured mentors. So like your organic oh, wow. mentors are like the amazing network of people around you. And I think that's so important to any career to have that amazing network. And in that network, you really want them to be people who are honest and who want you to succeed, have the confidence mm-hmm. in you and, and give you that extra strength. As I said, like I've taken opportunities before I thought I was ready for them. And I think that's coming back to having that amazing support network and yeah, the organic mentors, as I like to call them. Um, I absolutely then- <laughs> love that way of thinking, organic mentors. And I think that's a really cool way of thinking about it. Yeah. What about then other, you know, the other learning opportunities outside of the mentors and the support networks you had around you? What are the other, you know, levers, mechanisms, things that you use to continue, you know, again, through that evolution journey, you're building your, your knowledge base. What are you using to build that and grow? Yeah, definitely. So apart from the mentors, anything community-wise, like getting involved in Slack channels, there's so many good communities out there where you can connect with people, like you can get in the talent world, you can get in the vibe world, the people world. It's so good and everyone's willing to share and and contribute to that. I love catching webinars, podcasts. It's like learning so easily available today that you should be learning every day because there's so many opportunities to do that. And it's, yeah, perfect time to grow as professionals and personally as well. I really appreciate that, that what you shared because everything you said there is almost there's a, a specific type of learning. And I think there's almost a default when people think of learning they think oh, it must be around reading or it must be around going online and reading essays and so on. But everything you've just referenced there was peer-to-peer, uh, whether it be through a screen or whether it be via community or so on. Do you find that that is, a, is the learning sort of mechanism that works best for you? And you know, what do you think the benefits of that are over maybe some of the other more, let's call them analog learning methods? Yeah, I definitely think it is because I think you can be more honest because sometimes the law is black and white and there's so much gray and you get so much more benefit from grey and I think you get that from talking to people, exploring that and trying to get the best for your team and your mm-hmm. company. Whilst if you just follow black and white, then sometimes you might just go down a rabbit hole that you don't need to. That's not to say I don't read a lot. I probably do read a lot, but I don't enjoy that as much. Yeah, I try not to go down too many of the rabbit holes, but you're okay going down a few. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you were there for four years and sorry, I think you got part of the way through there. So you started off like early doors, you were learning, you were being supported a lot. And how did that evolve through your four years as you were at IGT? Yeah, so then I started to, I got promoted to a business partner. Mm-hmm. That was the title. Like, everyone's got new titles every day within the Love people's space. <laughs> loves the title, loves the title. <laughs> so then I took on the engineering team and the marketing team and the finance team. So that was the first time that I really got to go hands-on with understanding a business unit, how we can help improve them, how we can do retention, attraction, engagement, all the really cool parts about being in people I got to do. And that's yeah, where I learned a lot. And I had amazing managers that looked after those departments and they were so supportive. And yeah, it was a really good way to develop those skills. So, I mean, that's a, you've gone, you've made a huge leap, both in terms of vertical and horizontal diagonal movement and growth. What were the challenges? Thinking back to your time at IGT, what were some of the things that you're thinking back and you're, wow, you know, I learned a lot from that. That challenged me, that stretched me. What were those things in that role? I think sometimes the biggest challenge is you always want to have the answer for a manager or a leader in the business, but you don't always have it. And so sometimes you have to get creative, but 
as I said, I'm like a super honest person. So I'd always like be straight up if I didn't know something. But yeah, that's a big challenge for me because I always like to get people the solution as quick as possible. And sometimes you can't. <laughs> I think that's a, a great like kind of tidbit of, of advice just for others as well. I mean, I, I think it's okay. We sort of get into, a, we get ourselves tied up in knots trying to be all things to everyone or have all the answers to everything immediately. And I honestly think that the biggest bit of advice I've given out over the last couple of years has been you don't have to have the answers to things the second the question is being asked. You're allowed to say, hey, I don't know. Let me go and figure that out and I'll come back to you in 24 hours. And I think that in itself is a great sort of, once you realize that, it's actually quite freeing. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> realize that you don't have to like be at an encyclopedia and that in actual fact, it's okay to be human. They're like, Did you find that when you kind of had that realization, you were like, wow, whole new world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really is. And being honest is just the best way to get out. Well, not get out of it, but support it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right, cool. So IGT, where did you move on to from there after that? From there, I moved to eChoice, which Mm -hmm. is like a mortgage broking company. Um, So they were like quite startup vibe. um, So that was really quite a fun place to go. Mm-hmm. And what was the role there? Was that a similar business partnery type role? Yeah, so I did start as a business partner and about one month in, my manager resigned. And in all good things, they say, hey, Jess, how would you like to be the yeah, new manager? Fire. Love it. <laughs> so this is when uh, the start of the opportunities of Sink and Swim started. So <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the learning opportunity you had there because you're right into the deep end, Sink or Swim head first. What did you have to pick up? I mean, you're applying your skills that you'd already learned, but you're having to apply them in a whole new context, whole new business. Where do you start? Yeah, so that was yeah, a massive growth opportunity. That's how I always like to see it. I think you can always figure out whether you love it or don't love it. And I think that's why you should always take an opportunity, even if you are stretching, even if you are imposter syndrome, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So we started there. And I think the best way is to firstly like understand the leaders, what are their passions, what do they want to take the company, share with them your strategies, your ideas, and then get to know the people. Because for me, people are just what make companies amazing. And Mm. you've got to be able to respect them and create the culture around them. So yeah, that's where I spend a lot of my time is actually getting to know people Mm. and then working from that, the best strategies to implement. So Mm. it may not be the correct way or the wrong way I'm not sure but yeah it worked well <laughs> uh, absolutely and, and so I'm keen to touch on the imposter syndrome because it's something that I think is just it's prevalent everywhere and I think that what was your making it how did you how did you deal with that you know what I mean for example I think through my career I've dealt with it a million times I think everyone has but for some reason it's become this subject that everyone has to try and act with bravado no I don't get you know rubbish <laughs> everyone's had it like the Geez, we had the Atlassian co-founder, I don't know if you've seen his talk a couple of years ago on dealing with imposter syndrome. Even, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you have it. It's just a thing. What's your coping mechanism? How did you handle imposter syndrome or how have you handled it through your career so far? I was very lucky at that point in time, the imposter syndrome, because I never applied for this role. I kind of got Mm. given the opportunity or fell into it. I don't know what you wanted to call it, but Mm. I think it helped with the imposter syndrome. Like I knew I wasn't ready for it. But I took it as a good thing. I was like, mm. I know I'm not ready. I know I don't have the skills yet. But if I don't give it a good chance and give it my all, give it my passion, mm. then how would I ever learn and how will I ever be ready? So mm. I think you've just got to, you have imposter syndrome, you get anxious, you get nervous, but you just got to change that mindset to great opportunity. I will succeed. And if I don't succeed, 
that's also awesome because that means it's not the right fit. I love that mantra. It's such a positive way of thinking. So is that advice that you would give to someone who's starting out on a similar career path to you? Like be willing to grab the opportunities and fail, just fail fast and move on. Yeah, absolutely. Like even this podcast, I was so nervous to come on it. But if you get given an opportunity, say yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's such a cool way of thinking. Okay. And so you were there, uh, you went over to, and how long were you at eChoice? I was only there for a year because, yeah, Reckon contacted me when I was there. So. And Reckon is just killing it and winning at life. So <laughs> now you moved over to Reckon and you've been there now for how long? Almost six years. So wow. it's gone fast. Built the business. Okay. So tell me about the evolution here, because this is where... I think one of the things we all forget is that, you know, yes, you evolve all the way through your career. However, your, your evolution starting point is ultimately going to dictate the directions and the trajectory and so on. So you went in here in a leadership role and you've been continuing to build out and grow, but it might be less of a pure upward trajectory, more of a this or that, because you're already in leadership. Tell me how your roles evolved since you've been in Reckon from day one to six years later. It has evolved like no tomorrow. So the company I joined... <laughs> Six years ago, I do not think is this company that it is today, which is really awesome because mm. it makes you feel like you've contributed to a massive change. And mm. I think we've mentioned before, Neil, that like turnover wasn't that great six years ago. We were sitting at maybe 40, 50% turnover and like that is not good. And then today we sit at, yeah, like under 15%. So it's been a massive change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that comes back to yeah, understanding where they wanted to go, understanding how they wanted to hire people and getting a good strategy behind that. And I think that's what it's all about is yeah, making sure you have the best people in place to achieve the best results. And that's for themselves and for the company. Love it. So if you were to think back to six years ago, the you of six years ago, <laughs> what bit of advice would you give yourself six years ago? <laughs> Six years ago, I probably would have said yes to absolutely everything, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably not a good thing <laughs> in hindsight. As you say, sometimes you need to say, let me think about it or let me get the best answer rather than yes, I will <laughs> do it. <laughs> so the advice would be willing to not always say yes to everything. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. So then let's think back to, so you the first leap into that sort of more business partnery, commercial focused leadership role was at IGT, I think you said. So let's flip back. So you of today, flipping back to, you know, you of midway through your time at IGT, just as you're taking that leap into leadership, what advice would you give yourself then? That's a good question. And I guess to give context to that, I think what I'm trying to derive from that is, you know, your lens is now going to be very different because of the scale of the journey you've gone on. And your lens has gone from, you know, IC style outcomes, OKRs and so on to broader, wider, bigger business context, bigger business impact. So if you think back to then, how would you, you know, like you six years ago were still in leadership. So it may just be more learnings on the job. Back then, you're literally talking about layers difference uh, of how you're applying your skill set. So keen to understand what you would tell yourself back then to give yourself that big an impact. I think it would be having more confidence in myself back then, I think. I didn't back myself as much as I should have. Mm. I know that, like, as I mentioned, like, I had a great network around me and they were always supportive, but I probably second-guessed myself too much. Mm. But you can never make a mistake, in my opinion. It's like you – it's just all different opportunities, which is how I see it today. But mm. back then I probably just saw it as a mistake and probably mentally punished myself for anything. But today I'd be like, oh, oh, well, let's make it a good opportunity. Let's, let's make it something new from it. <laughs> 
Love it. Thinking on that then, so like if you think back to, and this almost sounds like an interview question, so my apologies, but I think it's got a valuable kind of trend and answer to it. What would you say is one of your biggest learnings through your career? I mean, everyone goes through those moments where you go, well, I either learned a hell of a lot about myself or I learned a lot about my function or I learned a lot about my business. And if I think back to my career through all the gray hairs and the war wounds and so on, there's probably a couple of key things that I can pick out and go, wow, if that didn't happen, it literally would have changed the direction of my career or I wouldn't be where I am today. Maybe I can get you to have a think on that and give me like, is there any anything that sits front of mind that was like, okay, that was quite an impactful moment in my career and this was the key learning from that? I don't know if this is the exact answer to that question, but I'll go we'll with dig it. We'll anyway. if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the biggest learnings I've had in my career is I used to be like Jess at work and then Jess at mm. home, mm. but I've decided that that isn't the best and that's not making me fulfilled and that is not really good for myself. So mm. I'm just Jess now, which has definitely changed my style to how I was earlier in my career to how I am today. And I think that's also a testament to how the people space has changed because like we would never talk about mental health when I started in my career. I was like, no, that's corporate world. Like we do not talk yeah. about mental health. <laughs> well, today it's like, yeah, it's in everything that we do. It's like front of mind. It's all about employee yeah. experience and well-being. It's like an amazing thing. And it's like, yeah, you can bring your whole self to work now, which I think is something that I probably didn't do earlier in my career. Uh, not only do I think you've answered, I think it's a wonderful answer as well. And you, you, the, the phrase you use there to bring your whole self to work—that's ultimately, you know, what we strive to do. You know, we we've gone, we, you know, in the years gone by, sure, we we might have felt that like we had to have, you know, professional Jess and personal Jess. Whereas they're both the same person, they have the same brain. It's just that we feel that like we have to put a barrier up between the two. It's still important, I think, to have some healthy barriers between both and know where those barriers are. But at the same time, in order for you to know you can bring your whole self to work, you need to know that where the healthy places are to inject work into your personal life as well, and and find what what you know. We, I don't think I've heard the term work life balance in years because it's now all about work life integration and figuring out what integration works for you based on your life cadences and otherwise so I think it's a great learning so when you sort of had that realization how did it impact your career how did it impact you what was the change that you saw from when you had that realization the biggest change I believe is that people trusted you more it was Mm. like this interesting thing and I think a big part of being a really good people leader is having trust and Mm. understanding the people across the whole company I think when you bring your whole self to work and you are authentically you, people will trust you because they know that you've got their best interest because at the end of the day, I'm just a human as well. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's that vulnerability factor, isn't it? You're letting yourself just be you. And I think that, if I'm honest, I also think that's maybe one of the very few, fair enough, but few silver linings over the last couple of years. We have been getting a window into everyone's home life via you know these screens. And although we are so over screens, Jeez, it's become a, a mainstay of our day where my son will drag my Mac off the table in the middle of a presentation and my dog will be barking thinking he's a Doberman when he's actually a pug. And like these have become the normal parts of our life. And you can then start to make those empathetic connections as humans, as opposed to just the people manager or head of people or and just the human being. It's now all the same thing. So it kind of creates that bigger connection, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I'm a cereal package deliverer, so I'm always like, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) got to go get my package. I love that. What I've become known for is the the fact that my young son Fletcher will just sort of walk around the study table while I'm on a call and the, the, like diagonally points towards him. So he just stands there and he waves at people and then he ends up on my lap just chatting to them. And 
and then half the time, you know, I found myself on some calls where people will be putting up the little toy elephants on the screen for my son just so they can be like, trying. It's, it's become a mainstay, but uh, they would rather talk to him than me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking forward then, Jess, you still have decades of your career ahead of you. What does growth look like for you from today? What direction, what topic, what does growth look like? Yeah, so for me, one of my favorite sayings is, love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I just, nothing resonates with me more than that. Mm. I know we have our good days, we have our bad days. I'm sure we have our days. We're like, oh, I cannot look at that computer again. <laughs> but overall, loving what you do is so important. And I love people and I love that space. But mm. my real career ambitions would be to stretch myself. I love sink or swim. Mm. And to be like a CEO one day of a company that I'm passionate about, whether it's in the tech space or potentially not-for-profit. I also love the not-for-profit space. There's so many awesome companies in that, but the tech space is also super cool. Yeah, I'd love to stretch myself further and yeah, develop into that. So thinking on then, I suppose this is a question that sort of that forces us to, forces introspection. Where do you think your blind spots are? Where do you think the areas are that you want to be building your knowledge to help in that journey? Yeah, so I think I've definitely got the people space down pat. Well, you know, I've said by now. Nailed it. <laughs> but to be honest, like I sat through a product roadmap meeting yesterday, actually very fresh. Mm. And that is definitely an area I need to develop my skills in. So I obviously understand products high level. I understand what customers want, but I definitely do not understand the very detail. <laughs> I love that. I, I mean, what an awesome and like honest call out. Like, again, so many people would avoid answering that in such an honest way. Like they would, oh, they would, they would try and do one of those thinly veiled positives, you know, or I think I need to stop trying so much. What? Like, <laughs> like it's, I think that that's, I mean, that's something I think that will help so a leader like you, someone else who's earlier in their career who might not be thinking, oh, better, I need to act like uh, I know everything. And instead, you've got someone who's still got a long way to go going, hey, I'm working in a product company, yet I, st- I still realize I need to understand how to connect those dots. That's such a wonderful call out. Is there anything that you have in mind that you think you'll be able to put in place to start helping you sort of bridge that gap and connect those dots? Yeah, so I've been speaking. I'm very fortunate that I report to the CEO, so I'm very lucky. Nice. <laughs> so I've been speaking to him about it. Obviously, it's not a short-term career goal for me. I want mm. to not accidentally fall into this one. I want to <laughs> work my way into it. <laughs> yeah, nice. So he's been mentoring me and yeah, he's a quite inspirational because he was our receptionist 20 years ago. So that wow. is definitely someone who worked into it. All right, LG, that's the next guest on this show. <laughs> 100%. That is insane. He was the receptionist 20 years ago. That's a learning journey that everyone could benefit from. That's insane. But that's yeah. very cool that you also have that mentor as well and someone who's not just speaking from a place of, of academia or, or theory, but instead has actually functionally applied a mega learning journey. That's, yeah. that's huge. It's a learning opportunity for the audience more than anything. So one of the things that's resonated through every question we've asked you, you've got an extreme, even for a people leader. You, I mean, there's always people leaders are always trying to find that blend between commercial leadership and people leadership. You've made it very clear that, yes, you you know, your goal is to find out to connect those dots between products and customers and so on, but you're very people focused. You want to be there what build the business and so on. Is there something, is there an initiative, a project, something that you've built, something you've done through your journey in, in the people world that you felt that was really impactful for your team, for your staff? Thinking back on projects or initiatives that you've run, 
that you've created from nothing. What do you think, you know, if, if there's other people out there that are at the beginning of the career, what have you seen the biggest impact, the biggest happiness come from your team from something that you've created? Yeah, I definitely think like every project you have to design and embed an inclusive culture. So mm. that is just the key to making sure your projects succeed. And that's making sure that you are considering everyone and how you can seamlessly bring them along the journey and empower them. So, for example, we've done like L&D has been a big strategy focus for my team this year and we're trying to cater for a rapidly growing and diverse team and obviously a very hybrid world that we live in now. So we're always incrementally improving each stage to try and make that program even better. So we have like LinkedIn as our learning platform, as like our go-to online platform, but then we try and make sure we offer learning in other ways, whether it's on the job, whether it's mentorship, whether it's my organic mentors, as I like to call them. (laughs) And yet so satisfying Mm. to do that because, yeah, making sure you include everyone and consider how it's impactful for them and how you can empower people from every project that you do, I think is so critical. And have you been able to see, you know, the, I mean, it, it should stand to reason. I mean, inclusiveness as a whole should just be one of the highest agenda items. However, from your the, the projects you've been running and trying to develop that culture of inclusiveness, have you seen the impact of that from point A to point C? And what has that, What you know, what impact have you seen? How have you, have you watched, for example, um, staff engagement increase have you watched you know the people's confidence internally start to build and grow as a result of this i'd love to understand you know from from right at the coalface what impact have you seen from actually driving that because and the reason why i'm asking that question as well is because i think inclusiveness as a whole de and i as a whole but inclusiveness in a business it's still considered to be an intangible i'd love to you know it's something that people struggle to put actual information or data around we'd love to hear from a leader who's actually driven a bunch of these projects some of the actual the tangible day-to-day this is how it's impacted us this is where we've seen the increase in the benefit so that we can start making it clear that there is lots of data points and use cases out there where this matters so yeah what have you seen what sort of increases or benefits have you seen from that yeah no definitely it is hard to put tangible results on it it's always been this problem with the people space like all across the board everything is heuristic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's always the other fluff, the fluffy department it used to be but now it's now it's more tangible so, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we've seen engagement score continually going up and we've seen people develop their skill sets to where they haven't been before mm. internal promotions at an all-time high and I think that's mm. amazing and that's an attribution to the learning and development platform working we're seeing people within our business who would never get up and present or presenting to the senior leadership team. And it just makes you so proud that mm. you've got these initiatives in place and you're trying to include all anyone that wants to take a, on part of the learning journey and to see them thrive and, and flourish from that. It's, yeah, mm. so it is, yeah, engagement scores is a great way to do it, seeing people outside of their comfort zone. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, been an amazing journey. Love it. And scene, jazz hand. One more question before we go, Jess. I know we've touched on it slightly before, but I'd love to hear about who else you'd like to hear from on the podcast. Well, I have to throw him under the bus now. So I'd say Sam Allett, my CEO at Reckon, being receptionist to CEO, I think is an inspirational journey and yeah, lots to learn from him. And he loves talking, so he'll love it. (laughs) (laughs) That was so cool. Thank you so much for today, Jess. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. I've loved it.
Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.